So now we get the great privilege of hearing another Riverite story and 40 Days of Faith experience, and that is my friend Brent. So please welcome Brent. So I, I love our season's observance of Lent and our 40 Days of Faith. And uh, the pastors this year asked us to talk about a breakthrough area, and that wasn't clear to me when we started talking about that. I had to spend several days thinking and praying about a breakthrough area. And I did realize there was one area out of several possibilities that I would like a profound change in, something that has been a regular struggle and problem for me, and that is a near constant presence of fear and worry. Um, in my past, it has shown up as depression and anxiety attacks. Now, thankfully, I'm in a much better place, but still I often carry around with me dread or expecting the worst. In our reading through Mark together, we came to Mark chapter 5 and the story of the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years. Uh, thank you, Mandy, for your reflections on the passage that day. The woman had been so taken advantage of, so abused financially, we're told, and I can imagine otherwise, that she was worse off after all her treatments than before. I imagine it was desperation that drove her to be there among the masses, to push through the crowd, to reach out and touch Jesus' robe. In addition to reading Mark on the River app, I'm also sometimes reading the message version. That translation's unfamiliar language helps me hear words in a new way. So I began to meditate on this scene. I saw her kneeling, bowed down, so afraid that she was trembling, and I felt a strong sympathy for her. I love Jesus' words to her in the message. I love Jesus' words to her in the message where it reads, Daughter, you took a risk of faith. You're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. You are healed of your plague. I began to weep for her. And in my meditating, I knelt beside her and put my arm around her so she wouldn't feel alone. I found myself looking up to Jesus to see where he was or what he was doing. And to my surprise, he was now looking at me. I felt in my spirit Jesus saying the same thing to me that he had said to her. Brent, you also took a risk of faith. And now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. Be healed of your plague. It was a powerful moment for me. A few days later, I was talking with God about it, asking for more understanding. I read Jesus' words again, and when I finished with the words, Be healed of your plague, I felt this impression and wrote it down. Brent, your plague has been shame and fear. You are healed and whole. Go walk in it. <clears throat> Until that moment, I hadn't, I hadn't connected my prayer for a breakthrough with this experience. God began to show me how being gay and my perceptions about that had infected me with fear. 
fear in a number of ways, but particularly fear that I could never be fully accepted or loved or belong. It also came with shame about who I am. But Jesus said to me, Brent, you took a risk of faith, and now you're healed and whole. And he didn't stop there. I realized he doesn't want me just to live without fear, but to live well, live blessed, to live freely, bravely, abundantly, knowing that God is with me, for me, doing more than I can even dream or imagine. Thank you, God. So I've had a few weeks to live with my healing. What's happened? I have noticed more freedom and lightness in my life. I'm also learning something else. I've lived with fear for so many years that my patterns of thought, my habits, my way of physically moving through life are deeply ingrained. In order to regularly walk in this new freedom, I still need to constantly interact with God to see the change God wants for me. I had one particular day last week that was hard for me. My first reaction was my old way of feeling defeated and discouraged. What happened was as a new teacher, I had put quite a bit of energy into planning a lesson I thought would engage my students. It didn't. (laughs) Plus, another teacher was observing me. So when it didn't go well, it stirred up all kinds of anxiety in me. I found a moment to be alone and talk with God about it, and I realized that this was an opportunity for me to practice my newfound freedom. I felt God asking me, how is a new way of looking at it, Brent? When you and I look at this together, how do you see it? God gave me a moment of illumination to see differently, to see along with God. It was not at all bleak. It was hopeful and full of life. I sensed the following, which, since I was prayer journaling, I wrote down. Brent, embrace trial and error as living, as aliveness, as participating in the life I have for you. There's no shame in mistakes, no fear in failure. You're not rejected for it. I still love you. Live well, live blessed. You're healed and whole. Thank you. And so now we're going to turn to the passage for today, um, which is Mark 11, 1 through 11. I'm reading it. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside their front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches as they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. 
After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. Please welcome my lovely sister, Vanida. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Brent, for that very, very powerful sharing this morning. I was uh, deeply moved and tremendously blessed. Thank you. So my name is Vanita Rodman Jenkins, and I've been attending the river uh, for about five years. And uh, most of my life is spent creating spaces of inclusion, love, and liberation for historically underrepresented groups. And I'm thrilled to be able to share uh, the message this morning. So these 40 days of Lent, or 40 days of faith, as we refer to them, have created opportunities to be surprised by Jesus. So whether you're a newcomer to the stories of the Bible or someone with more familiarity, everyone has the ability to interact with God through the passages and to be renewed challenged, and express everything that we are feeling. Just by a show of hands, how many people like surprises? Okay, some do, some don't, some are actually shaking their heads, no. (laughs) So I'm not talking about the types of surprises where you show up Monday morning and your manager springs something unexpected on you, like remember that presentation that you were supposed to make next week? You actually have to make it today in front of 500 people, right? Not that type of surprise. I'm referring to the kind of surprise that leaves you feeling incredibly joyful. Personally, I love surprises. I come from a family that likes to express their love through the gift of unexpected events. So whether that entails throwing surprise parties or showing up at someone's doorstep across the country, We deepen our connection through these acts of love. That's what we are able to experience through scripture. So no matter how often we read a particular passage of scripture, we can always gain a fresh perspective to deepen and strengthen our connection with Jesus. We've seen this in the 40 days reading and response blog, haven't we? And how beautiful it has been to read so many fresh perspectives from contributors and commenters alike. So as Brent read Mark 11, 1 through 11, connected to today's theme, who is Messiah? Some of you may have reflected on your experiences during Palm Sunday, which shows up on the Christian calendar next week the Sunday before Easter. Even though there was a part of me that always struggled with knowing that the same crowd who would extol his excellency one day would condemn him to death a few days later, Palm Sunday and the events that followed left an indelible impression on me. It helped to make this global celebration intimate personal. At the time of today's story, Jesus has been very active in his ministry of healing, restoration, and preaching 
about the kingdom of God. He has had conversations with his followers about his betrayal, death, and how he would rise from the dead. But it is hard for them to understand the full magnitude of these conversations and what Jesus was really attempting to convey. In today's story, Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem, entering towns near the Mount of Olives. This was now the time of the Passover, and the holy city of Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims who had come for this annual Passover celebration. So Jesus sends forth two of his disciples and gives them very clear and specific instructions. He says, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're doing this, just let them know that the Lord needs it, and he'll return it back later. So what was the significance of an animal that had never been ridden? Well, donkeys were very important in the first century. They were used for a host of different purposes. In this case, it was to be one that had never been ridden, one that was set aside for religious purposes, for sacred use. It is believed that this use of the animal was in fulfillment of prophecy. For Zechariah 9 and 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus knew that these specific instructions were all part of his father's plan. He was setting in motion his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the king, as the Messiah, the anointed one. He was also setting in motion the event that would ultimately lead to his death, resurrection, ascension, and the establishment of his spiritual kingdom. This was the appointed time when he would make public his identity, where we would understand who Messiah is, the big reveal, if you will. This would be the occasion where he would proclaim himself as king of Israel. As we know, any time a king or a dignitary enters a town, there is great excitement, and Jesus was at the center of this celebration. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, representing peace 
and humility and crowds of people spread their coats on the ground in front of him. This was similar to rolling out the red carpet. Some waved branches of palm trees, a sign of victory. And the people shouted, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the coming king of our ancestor, David. Praise God in the highest heaven. They cried, praise God or Hosanna which is a shout of jubilation and exultation, as well as hope. Another shout was blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. When the Jews would gather from around the world for Passover, this was their official greeting at the temple. And it has messianic implications, for the Jews referred to their coming Messiah as the one who is coming. They also cried blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. The prophets had foretold that the Messiah would reign on David's throne forever. This Passover, unlike previous ones, offered hope that maybe this Jesus was he who was coming to sit on David's throne. Only a king would be greeted in this manner, and the people wanted Jesus to be their king. Jesus, the one who had walked among them and miraculously healed them from all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Jesus, the one who gently touched people who were deemed to be untouchable and unclean. Jesus, the one who saw and acknowledged those individuals who others did not think were significant enough to see. Jesus, who challenged customs and institutional systems of his day by offering a way of life that brought people in rather then shut them out. It was a way of grace, love, and abundant living. He paved the way for you and for me to have connection with him, to have a victorious entry into his family. He essentially turned their world upside down. In Donald B. Crable's book, The Upside-Down Kingdom, he talks about the central theme in the ministry and teaching of Jesus being the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom points to an inverted or upside-down way of life that contrasts with the prevailing social order. This kingdom, which is not an actual physical place per se, can operate whenever, wherever, and with whomever opens themselves up to God and wants to join him in his work. The kingdom of God is present. It's dynamic and 
as we love and connect with God, ourselves and others, and put our trust in him, his kingdom and sovereignty become more and more evident in our lives. In the final verse of today's story, it says, So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Some translations say he went into the temple courts. The fact that Jesus took the time to go to the temple after his triumphal entry really drew me in. He looked around carefully at everything. Perhaps he was looking at the various separations in the temple, the outer court, the inner court, or the court of priests, the holy place, which houses the holy of holies, where only priests could enter annually to atone for sin. The court of women, the only place in the temple where women were allowed to worship, the court of Gentiles, and so on and so on. Maybe he was reflecting on his pending death and how the veil in that temple would be torn in two. You see, when the veil was torn, it created access. Now the Holy Spirit out of the Holy of Holies would enter into the world outside the temple, giving all people, Jews and Gentiles, all religions, all identities for all time and opportunity to enter through Jesus's great sacrifice. We all have an all access VIP pass that allows us to come boldly before the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. In preparing for this sermon, I was surprised by the various entry points in the story that I had never noticed before. For example, when the disciples were going to the village to get the donkey, they were told, as you enter it. They found the cult at a doorway, another entry point. Jesus enters Jerusalem. Jesus enters the temple. The Holy Spirit enters into the world outside the temple. Jesus's compassionate and humble triumphal entry helps us understand who he is as Messiah. And the biggest surprise is that he enters our world, essentially breaks into our world and meets us right where we are, just as we are. He paved the way for each of us to be connected to 
and have relationship with Jesus. And there is inclusion for everyone. Allow me to show you this clip, and I'm sure many of you have seen it, of a very famous Oprah Winfrey show, which aired about 15 years ago. Oprah is about to surprise everyone in her audience with what? A new car. (laughs) So I just think it's awesome that Oprah was able to give away cars and she continues to be very generous with her philanthropic endeavors. I mean, she does great, great work. Well, while I don't have a pretty red box or even a drum roll to offer you today, guess what? I have a better gift, Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's an all-sufficient Savior. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. And while he blesses us with material things, and I like material things too, he has come that we might have life and life more abundantly. And that yields peace and joy and liberation and freedom and goodness and love and all good things. He has come to connect with us and to be our friend in the truest sense. So while Oprah Winfrey says, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car. As a result of the love of Jesus, it does not matter where you live, your occupation, your socioeconomic status, your immigration status, your sexuality, your gender, your race, your ethnicity, your ability. As it relates to the kingdom of God, you get to enter, you get to enter, you get to enter. Everybody gets to enter. Brent, you get to enter. Mommy, you get to enter. Caroline, you get to enter. Everybody, everybody, everybody gets to enter. And that, my friends, and that, my friends, is good news. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we get to enter. We get to have fellowship with you because you love us so much. All we need to do is open ourselves up and to receive the great gift of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray for continued strength. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know that we are accepted and you are a God who is concerned about inclusivity and grace and mercy. And we thank you for all things for your great gift. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.